Welcome. If you're watching and you're part of Open Door, um, just a couple of introductory remarks. Many of you will have heard by now that we are opening the building again on Sunday the 30th of May. Um, just want to say thank you to everyone who's joined the conversation. There's been a wide variety of very helpful, helpful suggestions and insights about the way that we can go about it and do it well, so thank you for that. Can I encourage you to read what will now be the weekly letter because each week we'll just unfold a little bit more information about how we're going to run the meetings, what it will look like, how to book in, etc. But it will roll out week by week. We don't want to overload with one huge um, amount of information. So please read the weekly letter that will contain lots. Also from next week, we'll just do a little slot each Sunday on this YouTube channel, um, just giving away a little bit more information. Um, if you do have any questions, any suggestions, any insights, then please get hold of myself and Adrian um, by phone, email, or maybe in, the, maybe in the garden, seeing as the weather is so nice. So let's keep the conversation going and let's work towards opening well on May the 30th. Last week we looked at the early days of the church and we saw how they were clearly a gathered community. People knew these, this was the new kid on the block, this was the new sect, it was these Jesus followers. They had a clear piece, place of meeting, people knew where they met, they met in the temple courts. There was clear, clear leadership, apostles, prophets, um, later on elders, but we haven't quite got there yet. Homes played a very important role. They ate in one another's homes and eating was a huge part of their life together. Prayer and the Holy Spirit were central to everything that they did. There was a great diversity of, of language and culture in this new group. And as we read the final verses we read last week, people were drawn to, jo to join this group. There was something different. Um, the power of the Holy Spirit, doing miracles and wonders. People came and encountered Jesus and knew what it was to um, turn their life around, draw on Jesus, ask for his forgiveness, were baptised in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. And today I want to move on a few years and to see how this new community was developing. So we start in Corinth. It's a Greek city, there's about 80,000 people live in it. There's around about 20,000 people in the surrounding towns and villages. It was a, a bit of a, a nightclub town, not based around music, but based around the cultic sects um, and temples of various gods and people would come and, and worship there. It was also a centre of trade, um, could easily have been a bit of a warehouse town where people came and sold and, and uh, sold goods and then they were sold on elsewhere in the Roman Empire. So it wasn't that different from uh, our little town of Kettering in the centre of Open Door as it were, with the surrounding towns. The Apostle Paul had planted this church, stayed there for about a year and a half. He had a real love for this church. It, 
It comes out in his letters, some of the most personal um, parts of Paul's life, revelations of Paul's emotions come out in the two letters that he wrote to this church in Corinth. But it did have its challenges. But we'll start in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, where Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul wrote this letter fundamentally to the church in Corinth, this town of 80,000 people, the, the, the one church that was there. And throughout his letter, you can see he is speaking to one group of people. Now, he wrote his letters and often asked that the letters were shared around to other places. But here we find him writing to the church in Corinth. He wrote because they had an awful lot of issues. They were divided over leadership, apostolic spheres, but we'll come back to that later in another sermon. A whole lot of other issues. There were lawsuits between them. They had issues over marriage. They had issues over the Lord's Supper, how to break bread together. They had issues over spiritual gifts and how to use them. But Paul loved this church. And for this church, we must remember, this was all new. It was exciting. It was developing. They, they'd had Paul for a year and a half to teach them and then he'd had to travel off somewhere else. And so they were trying to work it out as they went along, as their, as their leadership grappled with some of these issues. And that too is not far from where we are as we seek to find a new normal in, uh, our, in, our, in our community life together. What was the makeup of the church like? Well, 1 Corinthians 26 says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. This was not a church filled with influential people. It had some influential people, had some rich people. It says not many of you were wise by human standards, so it had some good educated people. This was a church that reflected the town in which it was. And as Open Door moves forward, we want to continue to reflect the town in which we live. We want to look at the town. What, what aspects of the town are we not reflecting in the life of our church? Do we have the rich and the influential coming? Do we have the poor and, and those who are disadvantaged, those who are disenfranchised by the world? Are they part of us? Do we have what would be the bulk of us, just ordinary, everyday people? We want a church that reflects that diversity as it was reflected in Corinth. We don't want to be dragged out, think, oh, we must, 
we, mu we must go for those who are influential. No, let's have some, that's great, but let's, let's span the spectrum of the life of people in Northamptonshire. We don't want to be a church that is just locked into Kettering. We want to be a church that spreads its wings across Northamptonshire and reflects Northamptonshire. They ate together. Last week we talk, talked about food and this church ate together. Now, <coughs> I'll read you what Paul says about their eating together. Comes in chapter 11 and starts at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. This was a church that had seen some rapid growth uh, it was a church that was a community together, but it was also a church that was having to work out how do we do life together? And in this particular instance, they weren't working well. It appears their numbers had grown sufficiently, sufficiently so that, you know, when they came together to eat, there's, there's, there's huge differences um, between those who had, had much and those who had little. And, and there was separation between the two. And Paul sort of says, yeah, if you're not going to do it properly, then eat at home. Eat at home. Don't come together to show off your wealth. Don't come together to um, just socialise with those you would socialise with. Let's do it together. What can we learn? Well, we can learn that there comes a time when just eating all of us together will probably be very difficult and we may need to eat together in one another's homes in in smaller groups it's when we come together we want everyone to be able to share together we want to have um, a, a level of equality when we come together to eat together to be together we just need to watch ourselves because this church were a bad example. This church were failing. I've not noticed that here. We've, we've not failed at this. But as we continue on, we do need just to be careful to think, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Is it in one large group? Is it in small groups around the towns and villages in which we live? Is it in our own homes? We're entering a new normal. We're finding our feet in this. We must, in one way, forget the past and look to the future, even in eating together. Moving on. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. This is a little bit more about their meetings. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and to speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Again, this church were not a great example <laughs> using spiritual gifts. There was a little bit of showing off here, there and everywhere. But as we enter this new normal, let us again stir ourselves up in the gifts that we have so that as we come together, each one has a hymn, a prayer, a prophecy, a tongue. Let's stir up again that sense of participation. It's, you know, we're just before the lockdown, our maximums were around about 190 with kids on a Sunday morning. There's plenty of time and opportunity to feed for people to speak out their praise. And as we enter a new normal, let's walk together through stirring participation in us in anticipating and expecting that each one of us has something to contribute. We won't be doing it every week, but we'll come prepared each week. There'll be this one this week, this one this the following week, this one another week, this one again this week. Let's stir ourselves up for that sense of participation. We want not to be a restaurant, but a bring and share. At a restaurant, you go in, you sit down, you're waited on, you order your food and it comes to you. Bring and share, you bring something to the table, you sit down and share it out. Sometimes you'll bring a lot, sometimes you might bring nothing. Um, Leslie doesn't particularly like it, but sometimes we bring and share. I'll say to her, look, Les, we ain't going to take anything. And she'll go, why? I said, because my experience of bring and share is there is so much food, it's just left over. So let's just go this time and feed off others. At other times, obviously, we'd bring food. And it's the same for our, Sunday, for our gatherings together, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's in midweek, whether it's in a park, whether it's in a house, wherever. Sometimes you'll come full, share it out. Other times you might come a little empty and you just want feeding. But please, if you're always coming empty, ask someone to pray with you. Ask God to speak to you. Get into the word of God. Let it um, grow within you so that on Sunday you have something to bring. Participation. And, you know, these weren't small meetings. There are three prophets speaking. There's a tongue, a revelation. You, you know, 
you know, easily talking 25, 30 people just in that little list there. And obviously this was a church much bigger than that. Next, I wanna just very briefly go to um, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Now, in Rome is a city of about a million people. And whereas to Corinth, he wrote this, to the church in Corinth, and then he adds, and to all the others. When he writes to Rome, Paul writes this, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. And then obviously it's a huge theological um, work, um, great, a great book to read, lots of solid truth and revelation from God about how great our salvation is, all that Jesus has accomplished for us, the fact that there's no condemnation for us when we are in Christ, he's forgiven us, all of that. But I just wanna look at chapter 16, where Paul is basically saying um, goodbye to everyone. And in it, he says in chapter 16, verse three to five, I'll just, I'll just find it very quickly. Acts chapter 16, verses three to five. It says this, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Now Priscilla and Aquila have in the book of Acts quite a, a, a large ministry. They're, they are great teachers. They have a great understanding of um, the gospel. And Paul has used them to teach and to care for people. Um, so, you know, they're, they're quality guys, as it were, mature, um, a mature couple. And it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They've risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So they'd had quite a wide ministry. Greet also the church that meets in their house. And actually in uh, chapter 16, there's maybe five times where he implies that there is a church meeting in this house, in this house, in this house. And that's why when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he wrote to the church in Corinth, town of about, you know, total of 100,000 100, people. When he writes to Rome, a city of a million, he just writes to the Christians. And oh, to the church in this house, church in that house. Now, their houses were very different. And I've been in quite a lot of Middle Eastern houses that could easily, you could hold a church service of 100 people there. And Aquila and Priscilla were, um, you know, well-known Christians. So I, I don't think you're talking of, a sort of my living room where get six people and it's a little bit squashed and crowded. You're, you're talking bigger numbers than that. But there was the gathered community in Rome, but they met scattered throughout Rome. And as we look at Northamptonshire, and as we pray for God to move through Northamptonshire, wouldn't it be great to be able to write to the Church of Open Door scattered in Wellingborough, Corby, Kettering, Barton, Burton, Desborough, Earthlingborough, Wellingborough, all these places. Isn't that on our heart to see Jesus exalted in all these towns around us? Not just stuck in the middle of Kettering, but scattered in all 
his glory. And that's how Paul wrote to Rome. To Corinth, one church. To Rome, one people. And then, just finally, Hebrews 10, 24. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know who they wrote it to. But it was a, a group of Christians, they'd been through an, an, an amount of persecution, they'd been through some difficulties, and the writer says to them, do not neglect to meet together now. They'd been through some pressure, and they were beginning to, some of them thinking, well, actually, it can be me and Jesus. That's great. I don't really need to meet with everyone else. I'm a little bit frightened. Um, if I connect with this person and the authorities see me, maybe I will be imprisoned as well. Um, if, I, if I associate with them, I'm not sure that my work people are clean on me knowing Christians. And they were just beginning to back off. And this new... Um, vibrant movement was beginning to face some, some sort of, um, hang on a minute, do I really want to be part of this? And the writer says, do not neglect to meet together now. As we slowly gather back, let's not neglect to meet together. Let's gather in our homes at Eden, in parks, wherever. But as government guidelines unfold, let's unfold together. For those that are gonna to have to continue isolating for a while, let's, let's draw them in. Make sh have, a, have an eye out. Are, are they not here? No, they're still isolating. Give them a ring, send them a letter, send them a card. Um, <laughs> you know, post it through the letterbox. Make sure that those people are able to be drawn in. Are you worried about coming back into a big crowd? Then talk to one or two other people. Talk in your talk, listen and prayer groups and say, can you just pray for me? I'm a little bit worried about coming back. Are you excited about coming back together as a big group? Then just be sensitive. There are others that will struggle. There will be some, some that are just keen. Are you a real hugger and you're thinking, hey, I'll be able to hug the world when this is over. It's gonna be a long time before it's over. And uh, we'll have to have some sensitivity and maybe even some rules and regulations about how we say hello and goodbye to one another. But let's stand together. What does this mean for us? Technology has been helpful and online is going to remain part of our church life for quite a long time. And it has some real advantages. But at the same time, we need to rebuild our open door community, our vision and our mission. It's not broken, but it has been altered. Sundays will be changed and we'll be learning together how to, how, how to do congregational life together afresh. It's going to be new. We want participation to increase. We want to be very much a bring the glory of God into the church. Let's share it together. Our homes will be more important as a place of learning and being disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm not fearful of the future. I'm full of faith for it. And past couple of months, the 
words of Joseph to his brothers in Genesis have uh, just stuck with me time and time again. Joseph says to his brothers at the end of Genesis, as uh, they're worried that uh, he might take retribution on them now the father is dead. But Joseph says this, you intended to harm me. And there's no doubt that in coronavirus, um, the devil has sought to harm the church. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God will bring good out of every evil circumstance when we allow him to. So as we look to the future, we look with faith, we look with expectation that God is going to accomplish what he wanted, and that is surely the saving of many lives. Open Door has some great days ahead of it. God bless.